following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. Box Office 30 for February 1991. I'm Pete, and I am joined as usual by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing, sir? I'm well, thank you. And I was thinking about this as we were, uh, you know, preparing to do this movie. And I was like, for a moment, I was like, oh, it's February. And this is going to drop almost on Groundhog Day. It would have been <laughs> kismet if the movie was Groundhog Day, which it, unfortunately we have to wait until... 1993 to get to Groundhog Day. Yes. (laughs) I actually, I had the same recollection earlier for different reasons that like somebody mentioned early part of February and I was like, oh, Groundhog Day. I got to watch Groundhog Day on Groundhog Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, So uh, some exciting news here that I wanted to kind of start the episode off on before we um, too, you know, too deep on other things. Uh, We have a sponsor for this episode. Whoa. Hey, yes. (laughs) So uh, this is actually a sponsor. The uh, entire Retro Network is working with right now, and it is called Retrofied Magazine. Um, So I have some information I wanted to share a little bit about them. So they're a new quarterly magazine that was created to celebrate pop culture you grew up with from TV, toys, books, movies, fashion, food, video games, and more. Retrofied has the 80s and 90s pop culture coverage you crave. Um, So I took a bit to check it out. And I have to say, it's actually a really great magazine. Um, You can actually head over to their website, retrofiedmag.com, and download their Fall Zero issue for free to see their work. Yeah. Um, It's a 52-page free preview. um, And honestly, it's put together really well. I'm very impressed. Um, And if you're into all things retro, it's definitely for you, too. Um, just a lot of fun, different topics they seem to cover in that. So it's, it's, it's nice. It kind of jumps all over to sorts of, uh, things that's a little bit of stuff for everybody in there. Hmm. Pretty cool. Um, they have their first full issue available now for purchase on their site, their winter 2021 uh, issue, and that's in both digital and print. And there's a 12 page free preview of that as well. And the best part its main story is about Reboot, which I loved Reboot as a kid. Michael, do you remember Reboot? Was that a, a show that came on your radar when you were younger? 
I recall the title, but if you'd have to give me a little bit of a synopsis <laughs> on what it was about. Yeah, I mean, essentially the idea is that they're characters that are like inside a computer or internet sort of world. It's like Wreck-It Ralph, like before Wreck-It Ralph. And it was, um, it kind of went down as being like one of the first CGI shows, one of the first all CGI shows. And, you know, I have fonder rememberings of it than probably a hundred percent that it's deserved. But, you know, if you go back and look at it, the, the animation, the art is pretty janky. Like they're like pretty polygonal, you know, <laughs> characters. Polygonal. But... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't remember I got to look up. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it, they're boxy. They're, they're cuby. They're, they're triangly. They're, Oh boy! Not, not, I, not smooth and anti-aliased and ray traced and all that good stuff that we get a little bit more of these days. But fun, fun show at the time. I remember watching it like um, in I think the afternoons or the weekends. I think it was a Saturday morning cartoon at first, and then later on they were replaying it kind of in the mornings or the afternoons before or after school. And I would kind of rewatch it then. Okay. Um, yeah. And so this magazine is is. Featuring this, or is the the whole thing's about? Yes, it, well, that's their cover story, at least for um, the very first uh, proper issue. So, I gotta get uh, an an issue myself and check it out because it looks like a a pretty neat um, coverage they have for it. Really cool piece of artwork that they have on the uh, front cover um, with the two main characters. So. And where can they find all this information? So again, best spot to look for it, I think, is their website, which is retrofiedmag.com. And uh, the other kind of fun news is that we've teamed up with Retrofied Magazine for a giveaway that I'm going to discuss later in the show. So keep listening for that. Yes. (laughs) So I know you had some um, new movies or some movies that are new to you that you, uh, you saw recently. So I, I've watched a couple of movies that are brand new and one that I was, I'm, I'm way late on, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll start with the ones that are new. And this is a very interesting topic. And I think this translates well to our show. So toward the end of 2020, HBO Max had announced that they were going to do a day and date release for all their movies in 2021 theater and HBO max. And a lot of people went up in arms about this whole scenario. I, for one really was excited about it because it'll give me the ability to see a lot of movies that I probably would have never gone to see in the theater and be able to get a good perspective on them. So the first one I watched was a movie called locked down with Anne Hathaway And um, it's about uh, a couple that's in lockdown in London at the start of the pandemic or somewhere like, let's say, April-ish, I guess. Um, And they've decided to get a divorce while basically just at the beginning of the pandemic was they got shut down together. (laughs) And the story is mostly about these two people, but it transitions into this like jewelry heist kind of a thing. Interesting. Uh, um, and they decide to like rob a department store with this like giant diamond. I'm spoiling it for everybody that hasn't seen yeah, this movie ha- Hashtag yet. spoilers, including me. <laughs> yeah. um, this one is on my watch list, so don't go too spoilery. <laughs> I, I won't. I mean, the movie's good, but 
the ending had a lot of question marks for me as to how it ended. And it was one of those things where I was like, this would have been fine just going straight to streaming because I don't think it would have done well in the theaters anyway because it's not a very big movie. You know, well, that's, like, yeah. I was going to say, like, I had heard a little bit about this and it's it's part of why I put it um, on my list. I mean, I'll also watch anything with the two of them. I think they're both fabulous actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, some Oh, they're great together. They're really, really terrific together. That's I, great I, I to it. hear. Yeah. Um, I had heard somewhere that they basically like – you know, kind of put this thing together in I think like two or three weeks. Oh yeah. Um, it, it, it wasn't like a very long production. Like it, it's kind of like a little bit of coronavirus guerrilla filmmaking as it were, where they actually kind of just did lock down them and the crew in London. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and just kind of crank it out. It feels like to me, like this movie was a coronavirus proof of concept, <laughs> you know, like can you shoot a movie in quarantine in a lockdown and, you know, make a cohesive story. And I'd say for the most part, they succeeded. And essentially there's, you know, two characters, a couple of cameos here and there from some really interesting pop-ins that you're like, whoa, wow. Oh, cool. That's kind of neat. Oh, look at that. That's fun. But overall, it's, I mean, it's just about these two people in their, you know, London flat essentially and how they're surviving together on lockdown. I was going to say when you first described the plot that it was like a um, coronavirus version of Marriage Story, but the whole heist thing definitely changes yes. <laughs> that a little bit. <laughs> it's, an inter- it's an interesting plot twist that uh, I don't know if it fully works and if if it helps or hurts the story, but it's an interesting twist to the movie and how it all plays out is even more interesting. But um, it's something you should definitely check out. It's definitely worth seeing on streaming because it's available and you can watch it. And and like I said, Anne Hathaway was terrific in it. Like she's has such amazing monologues that I'm just like, wow, she really, she really went for it. It was pretty wild. Um, that was pretty cool. Now, the second movie that I saw, I watched just last night because it just dropped on Friday, which was The Little Things with Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. And this is a crime drama based around uh, an L.A. detective and like a Northern California sheriff who are searching for a serial killer. And the movie is very similar to a lot of the genre style, you know, serial killer thriller movies of the 90s. Um, you know, a la like Seven and, you know, not necessarily American Psycho, but, you know, Silence of the Lambs, things like that. And um, it's an interesting movie. It's it's a very slow burn, but it's the acting is awesome. Uh, Denzel really crushes it in this movie. So does Rami Malek. They're really, really good. Jared Leto is He's he's not in it a lot, but when he's in it, he's very he steals the scenes that he's in. The ending of the movie is very confusing to people. Like we, I watched it with my wife and my in laws. I I got what they were trying to say, but my my family was like, "What? <laughs> what? 
what? How do I don't what 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 does that all mean? What does it mean? <laughs> um, it's definitely very cool. It's definitely a movie you should check out. Again, it is a small movie in the sense that it's not like super grandiose. There's some beautiful cinematography in it. Uh, it's shot mostly at night, and the night lighting is really really cool. Um, it felt like at points like. Uh, Michael Mann's collateral, the way they shoot at night and just like the, the street lights and everything kind of light everything, which is pretty neat. Um, it, it's definitely interesting. Again, a movie that if I, if, if we were able to go to the theaters without worry, I probably wouldn't have seen it in the theaters, but I was glad that it came to streaming that I could watch it and experience it in my home. Um, funny enough, it was shot in 2019. And it's been, you know, was supposed to come out for like award season last year mm. and then got bumped and whatever. And now it finally came out. And again, it's on streaming. It's on HBO Max. Definitely check it out. It was an interesting movie. Well, what, what is interesting, too, is, you know, we're all so starved for new content here in Corona. Oh, I was thinking, I'm like, there's nothing to watch. And I'm kind of like just <laughs> flipping through, you know, and I'm like, oh, I forgot. They just dropped. I was like, I have to see this now. Like, oh, great. Well, Perfect. you and a lot of other people, because the interesting thing about this movie, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up, is that it is not only number one in the box office currently in the theater world, it's number one on HBO Max now as well. It also bumped kind of everything else that's going really? on there down a notch. So uh, again, smallish release. You know, I think it's, it's doing four point eight million at the box office right now. Um, but King of the Hill for at least you know the box office and HBO Max at the moment. So yeah. you know we're, we're all uh, we're all dying for new content. <laughs> yeah, the next movie that I want to watch that I haven't gotten to is that one on Netflix, which is like the trial of the Chicago seven. Mm, yes. I haven't seen that yet, but I was like, I was debating between that and the little things. And I was like, the little things was slightly shorter. So like, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Basically, the, Now the third and final movie that I recently have watched or am currently watching, I should say, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I haven't finished this movie yet. But I have a lot of thoughts. And this is Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh, okay. I'm about an hour into the movie. So before you go too far in, like, is this the first time you've seen that? Or did you see it a while back? I've I, I never seen remember. Solo till okay. now. Okay, all right. So yeah. this is new to you. New to me, yes. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, I mean, there is those two camps. There's the people that do, and there's the people that just don't. <laughs> and... It's not a matter of it not being kind of a fun Star Wars, you know, space opera kind of a thing. You know what my biggest problem with the movie is? I forget the actor's name who plays Han Solo, but I don't like him. <laughs> Aaron Han- Elgott, I think, is is the guy. I yeah. could be off. <laughs> as Han Solo, he's not as charming as Harrison Ford. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. It's some big shoes to fill. And, you know, the whenever any film franchise gets into this, like, murky territory of, like, we need to replace an actor either because age differences or, 
you know, somebody is no longer willing to play the part or they're asked back to play the part or whatever. Um, and they start to do a recast sort of thing on it. It, it definitely gets into this like gray area. Mm-hmm. Now, funny thing is, uh, you know, and this is, uh, you know, not 100% going to fix this, but there's funny things out there. And I'd be curious what your thoughts are if you ever saw them where some folks have done deep fakes on this movie and replaced portions of it <laughs> from with his face over to Han Solo proper, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I am curious if, if that would change anything for you. I mean, obviously it's still a little funny cause it's still Aaron Elgott's voice coming out as compared to Harrison Ford's <laughs> voice coming out. Um, so there is that still a little bit of discrepancy there, but I don't know. I mean, it, Solo is a funny movie for me. I, there's, on a whole, I kind of like it. Um, I have to kind of pretend it's not 100% part of the Star Wars canon, I feel like. Um, and there's some interesting things in there, and some of it ties into some of the extended lore. So yeah. for somebody like me, as you know, I do a ton of the reading in that. So like for right, me, yeah. it has a little bit more meaning in that area. Um, but I don't know. There's some questionable choices in it, and... It's not my favorite on the whole. Like, you know, as, as far as some of those stories that happen outside of the main, you know, version of the Star Wars stories, the main trilogies and things like that. For my money, Rogue One is a lot better movie. Oh, Rogue One is a lot better movie. Yeah, actually, in fact, I think Rogue One in some cases is a better movie than than some of the uh, the new sequel movies. But I, I digress on that. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But, um, but the, the only thing yeah. I say is Donald Glover doing or playing Lando Calrissian, he plays a really great young Lando Calrissian. No, for sure. And that's actually what I was about to say is there's some shining moments and things in this movie that are really good. And like, you know, again, I go back and forth on, on Ansel a little bit. Like there's moments where I'm like, Oh, he's got it so down. And then there's moments where I'm like, you know, (laughs) questionable or whatever. Um, but yes, uh, you know, um, Donald Glover. I'm losing my mind here tonight. Donald Glover. But yes, uh, Donald Glover is just, you know, hands down an awesome young Lando. I mean, you can really take that swagger that he's got and pass it on to Billy D. Williams. And, you know, there's like, 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 I mean, like the, uh, like the Millennium Falcon full of capes is just like, it's so gratuitous, but it's amazing, you know? So yeah, for sure. That's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. That was cool. Like, like I said, I'm only, I'd say, a little over an hour into it, or maybe just under, around that somewhere. The thing that I'm also kind of confused about is, like, if if Leia is his, you know, true love, his great love, whatever, I'm not connected to the relationship with this other uh, Kira character Kira, yeah. in the movie. Like, I, I just... I know where that's going to play out to that they're and they're not going to be together by the end of the movie, and I don't care. I just don't care because I know where his story goes. That I don't need to see his story before in regards to losing a love and then trying to get back to it. It just doesn't feel genuine, and it it's like it takes me out of it a little bit. Too. Yeah, I mean, this is the tricky thing with any sort of prequel series, unless like you're really, really, really tying it into the lore, that it's tough to go back and then retcon things, right. you know? And Star Wars has this problem a lot, you know? A lot. Uh, you know, it, like even when you 
progress past the first movie and then think back to the prequel movies and sort of everything that comes with the relationship between Luke and Leia and how they kind of start off a little bit incestuous as it were, you know, and yeah. then you can tell that it's just like, all right, George had one idea and then he sort of changed it to something different. And he'll claim that it was always in the, in the plans, but then that makes that a really weird choice, you know, sort of thing. But you know, like I was listening to something the other day that kind of made a really interesting point back in the original Star Wars that like, you know, the last thing that Obi-Wan Kenobi sees, and this is much more informed by the prequels, but the last thing that Obi-Wan Kenobi sees before Darth Vader strikes him down is Luke and Leia reunited running onto the Millennium Falcon. And that's a really cool moment then when you think about it under that context. Mm-hmm. But George Lucas didn't originally write it that way. It was just oh. like, oh, we got to go save this princess who called and asked for my help, you know, sort of thing. So when you retcon these things, you can either have light shines on it in a new and interesting and better way. Or you can have stuff like this where you can tell they're sort of setting up for like a solo two. That's most likely not going to happen because, you know, it kind of didn't hit that like critical or or financial success. I don't think that they exactly wanted out of it, but they're going to play with that in the universe now. And as a matter of fact, I think I've heard uh, rumblings that the Kira and solo young solo character may somehow tie into Mandalorian, which obviously takes place after the fact. Right. That might mean that a older Cura character may somehow tie into that. So I don't know. Interesting. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> On the flip side, I have <laughs> the movies uh, that I've seen recently. So <laughs> yeah, I have one that I've seen that I'm surprised that you haven't chased down yet. And I say that I've seen it like you with solo. I've seen most of it. I'm missing the last 38 minutes. Um, and that's in part because it's just the damn length of the thing. And we tried to sit down and watch it in one go and it just couldn't happen is tenant. Um, I finally tried to dig up and start going through tenant. And, uh, did you see this yet or no, I'm waiting for it to come to HBO max. Okay. Um, because I am honestly, from what I heard, and this is just what I've heard is people wanted this to be some sort of a sequel to Inception, and essentially it is not. It is, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Washington is the star? Or, um, yeah, Denzel's son, yes. yeah. Yes. Um, he basically says that it's a distant cousin to Inception, <laughs> and I'm like, boo. Like, I want yeah. it to be a direct sequel and the way the fans are making out online about like the YouTubers are saying like, Oh, it's going to be like way in the future. They're going <laughs> to save them from the realm or whatever. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. And somebody really made a good argument. Like this movie costs $220 million. <laughs> they have to have, you know, all these other actors are going to come back in cameo. And it was not, I'm like, I don't even care. Like, yeah. I, I mean, what I guess I would say is I don't have, that attachment. I don't really care that it's tied in or not to that universe. I mean, that said, you could make the argument that it's taking place in that universe because like in either one of those, it's like planet earth circa now, you know I mean? Like there's nothing like particularly special or, you know, like some sort of like where it's in like a superhero genre or something like that, where it's like very particular. So, I mean, you could make the argument it's in the same sort of thing. Um, I think it's, a spiritual successor in so much as that um, like Inception, it's very 
built out of thriving on a piece of technology. Um, so sort of the plot in both revolve around this like world bending type of technology. So mm-hmm. spiritually it's alike. Um, the two things don't cross streams as far as right. like, you know, you don't see any of the characters cross over or things like that, but you could, you could sort of make an argument as he says that maybe it's a cousin or something like that. Here's my thing with this movie. First of all, like any sort of um, one of his productions, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Right. Very clever ways that things are filmed and put into it. And it's very unique. That's the one thing that I can always say about his movies is they're incredibly unique. That said, is I feel like the sake of being unique. It, it, it's 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 a gimmick. Um, right. it's a gimmick is, is the thing at the end of this, that, the, and this is my own personal takeaway. There's some people that might come away like this is a masterpiece. Um, there's some really unique filmmaking going on here, but it's built around this reversal of time sort of gimmick. And I don't want to give away too much because it's a movie that, that, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that probably still haven't seen it and I don't want to spoil anything significant for it. But for me, a lot of it was either a obvious what was going to happen where like because of the nature of the movie, I was calling things very ahead of time that they happened. Mm -hmm. And then B the other thing that really made me itchy about this is his main character sort of runs, runs into and experiences this thing that like shouldn't happen. And he just sort of takes it at like face value. Like, Oh, that just happened. All right. Now. Cool. All right. That's great. Whereas I was expecting more of like how Neo reacts to the matrix. Like what? Oh my God. There's this whole crazy thing. And I have to like learn all about it. And like, that is almost a much more believable way that somebody would interpret and experience this really crazy thing that happens to him. He just sort of acts like it's like, Oh, interesting. All right. That just happened. You know? So (laughs) it, it, from the very beginning of the movie on, it really threw me for a loop how quickly and how deeply he accepted what was happening and wasn't questioning it and this and that. So it really kind of was weird past that. You absolutely need like an explainer for this movie. (laughs) Like there's a lot going on in it that, um, you'll either want to go back and rewatch it several times to try and fill in question marks, or you're going to want to like go over to like Reddit or YouTube and have somebody explain to you portions of, of what's going on. You know what I mean? So it's a movie you, you don't want to attempt at like nine o'clock at night. It's a movie you want to attempt like on the middle of the day on a weekend or something like that, where you're not having to like really think it out. One of the biggest things I miss about like getting a DVD is the director's commentary. And yeah, Nowadays, like even if you buy a movie, you know, digitally, the likelihood of people going back and rewatching the, the digital version with a commentary is so limited that you're like, meh, they're not going to do it anymore. Because <laughs> like you need that sometimes. Like there's certain things you're just like, I want this explained. I don't understand what they were going for. And now you don't have that type of ability anymore. You have to rely on youtubers or reddit or whatever yeah i mean i'll say one other thing and i again i'm i'm hoping that this isn't any kind of big spoiler or plot issue for anybody and again i didn't see the last 38 minutes of the movie so i don't know if this is going to play into the end of the movie but when you read the description for this and obviously they were trying to keep the movie's description intentionally vague they sort of say like oh he's armed with one word tenant and he has to figure out what that means and like 
He uses that word once and then it never, ever, ever comes up again, at least outside of that last 38 minutes I'm missing. So that also kind of put a little thorn in my side. So I don't know. I have to go back and finish the last 40 or so minutes of it and and see if it uh, does anything more for me. That said, there is some really, really unique um, stunts and visual effects and things like that that makes this movie worth seeing. Um, but just go into it with a fresh head because it does require some some thinking and things like that. <laughs> some brain power. Yes. Well, while we're talking about reversing time, how about we head into this month's Box Office 30? Right. So this month's box office 30, what do we got? What's, what's, what's the haps? So as you may be sadly aware of our top film this month is going to be sleeping with the enemy and sleeping with the enemy earns $45 million in February, which puts it at our top spot, goes on to gross 101.6 million domestically, 73.4 million internationally on a delayed April 1991 release for a total worldwide release of 175 million with a 19 million dollar budget. I mean, there's a lot of money for a 19 million dollar budget. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, again, so this is a a financially successful movie and I feel like there's a trend that you and I have seen in a lot of these movies that we've been um, taking a look at which is kind of similar numbers to this like they do it for about 20 they make about 100 that kind of seems to be the 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 window you know outside of the bigger things that we've had like total recall things like that that made a bit more or ghost you know mm-hmm. home alone um which are these runaway successes it seems like the average around this period of time gets in that hundred zone and they're doing about 80 million or more profit and you know hopefully somebody's feeling <laughs> happy about that over at the studios that release it yeah, nowadays they're doing it for a hundred, and they need five hundred. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so moving down the list, um, Home Alone has finally been dethroned. Uh, this is now landed in third place with thirty-two million dollars. So it took uh, it took Sleeping with the Enemy and uh, the second place movie to to knock that down a, a couple of pegs, as it were. Um, so you know, February we're getting out of that holiday zone, I guess. It's staying power is waning at this point. <laughs> I, I would assume so. We're getting close to Valentine's Day at this point. It's like, yes, you know, <laughs> but, but I think, but, you know, that's probably why, and we'll get into this, but I think probably why sleeping with the enemy is where it's at, you know, Julia Roberts, Valentine's day ish area, you know, recipe for success. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. So the, uh, the second place uh, film then is, is worth mentioning is Silence of the Lambs. And I feel like this is another case of a film that's arguably better being recognized or, or rather, you know, being not the recognized movie this month, um, you know, not making it onto the box office 30 top of the pile. Um, this one made $35 million, uh, which lands at $9 million behind Sleeping with the Enemy. So difference of $9 million, and, and we could have been, um, this month at least, talking about a, a better movie. And we'll, honestly, we'll obviously be talking it, about it next month. If you think about that, it's literally only because it came out a week later. If they came yes. out on the same day, it, we might have had a different conversation. I mean, I, what is interesting about this, and again, we'll talk uh, in depth about Silence of the Lambs next month uh, when we do that one for our, our – top movie of the month in our review. 
Um, but as you say, it only comes out a week later. So, so it really means that, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, Sleeping with the Enemy has a front-loaded success because it's able to get up to that 45. And even though, obviously, Silence of the Lambs goes on to have a, a maybe longer-lasting or, or bigger success over the course of at least two months, um, it didn't make it, despite only a week difference. It's not like one of these ones where it came out, you know, several weeks kind of after the fact and didn't have that time to run. So... Um, you know, for whatever reason, Sleeping with the Enemy really did do fairly well um, off in the beginning. So uh, moving down our, our box office list here, we have a number of new movies that came out in February. Uh, what I'm going to say is that outside of like the first four or five of those, the rest of them are like essentially unrecognizable. <laughs> oh, come on. Really? You don't yes. recognize number six? Uh, so, I mean, uh, let me jump back over to the whole list. Do you have our, our full list up for yeah, the, uh, but so I, what I was going to say, number six is number two, according to what I'm talking about, at least as far as new February releases, at least. Okay. Fair. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so going down the list in, in more proper order, so we don't confuse each other. Number five on this list is a movie called LA story. And I've heard of this one, at least I've never seen it. Um, but to your point, do you want to intro number six for us? Sure. So number six is a movie called King Ralph. And I saw this movie in theaters and I loved this movie as a kid. So King Ralph stars John Goodman. As Again, not to be confused with John, John Candy. Candy. Or you might talk about in a minute is why <laughs> yes. I should bring it up. Yes. <laughs> so John Goodman, they basically, at the beginning of the movie, the... British royal family gets like a big family portrait and all of them get electrocuted from it. And based on some sort of lineage or descendancy yeah. or <laughs> genetics, they from find a huge out- stretch in believability. <laughs> yeah. This, this guy who's like the illegitimate son of somebody is the, next closest heir to the throne of, of Great Britain and they bring him in and make him the king of England. And the best part about it is because he's like a professional bowler or he's, he wants to be a professional bowler of some sort. He puts a bowling alley in Buckingham Palace and like they're, they're like bowling in there. And it's a fun movie, but essentially at the end of the movie he realizes like he's not fit to be king. And I guess like his, you know, first, you know, servant or first assistant or whatever, he appoints the new king or something like that. It's like nice. the bonkers way they did the movie. But it's a fun movie. It's great. I like it. Um, it's 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 a it was a fun movie at the time. So for sure. Oh, he's also at one point he's wearing the royal like crown and all the jewels yes. in a bathtub <laughs> and he like knocks it into the bathtub or something like that and he gets like soap suds on the on the crown jewels the cover too isn't that the cover where he's in the tub with all the crown jewels i, I believe so yes or the poster and things like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so again moving down the list from our good boy king ralph there um in the number 10 spot another retro movie worth mentioning here is the never-ending story 2 with the worst subtitle in possible maybe ever movie history, the next chapter. (laughs) 
Where's that Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice? Yeah, but at least Dawn of Justice sounds like something. Literally, the next chapter, it makes the whole thing redundant. The never ending story two, the next chapter. <laughs> like, really? What are they going to call the other one? The never ending story chapter? three. The third chapter. <laughs> the chapter after the last one. Yes. <laughs> so, Never Ending Story 2, I don't remember as well as the first one. Um, I'm pretty sure all the characters, or at least the actors, except for like one or two, flipped out in it. Like, it wasn't even like the same actors. Yeah. Um, the story wasn't as good. The Never Ending Story wasn't as good as the Never Ending Story of the first one. But... No matter what, Falcor was in there. My boy Falcor, I love that luck dragon. So <laughs> it's all good at the end of the day. <laughs> you missed another movie though on the list. Number Did seven, I? number seven, which technically came out in January, is White Fang. Well, I, I only missed it because we talked about it last month. Oh, we did. Really. <laughs> See, this is what I forget, man. Like, what a difference four weeks makes. I'm like, I don't even know where I am. Yes. Right. In fairness, we didn't talk so, so much about it, but I did bring it up because we had our, our resident Disney expert with us, so it was worth mentioning uh, White Fang came out at that point in time. Oh, that's true. Oh, I remember the movie that's like 15th on the list. Again, we're going with the uh, John Goodman, John Candy scenario. Yes. 15th on the list is Nothing But Trouble with uh, – Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, and Demi Moore. And beyond the title and the cast, I don't remember what this movie was about, but this, the, the byline says, a businessman and his friends are captured by a sadistic judge and his equally odd family in the backwoods of a bizarre mansion. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's why I wanted to bring up John Candy. Uh, I do not remember this one. I've seen many a, a Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd and John Candy movie, but this one does not pop onto my radar. I, I just remember it from Dan Aykroyd's like prosthetics on his face, but it's worth mentioning that this movie had a $40 million budget versus our number <laughs> one movie this month that had a – 19 million dollar budget and this movie grossed worldwide 8 million 479 thousand so the studio of warner brothers took well over a 30 million dollar hit on this movie (laughs) yes and that one's definitely all probably actor money like at that point i'm sure all of them were earning you know a good paycheck including demi moore so you know i i think that's probably where all that you know you might just be uh 10 10 10 and 10 is wishful thinking but you know maybe that's where that's coming from so uh, another one on here that again i didn't recognize but it's kind of in the middle of the list so it's probably worth mentioning is scenes from a mall and the only kind of interesting reason why I bring this up is that this stars Bette Midler and Woody Allen. And I don't know a ton of movies that star Woody Allen that aren't Woody Allen movies. Um, I was really hard pressed to think of any. So I, I'm this not sure. This is a Woody Allen movie if he's in it? He's in it. Um, and again, I don't know that he doesn't necessarily produce it or anything, but this is directed Disney by Paul Sersky. Weird. It's a, Walt, it's a Walt Disney movie. Yes. And this isn't written by him. He does not direct it. 
Um, and again, I know that there's probably a few movies that he's in that aren't his own movies. I just don't many. know many off the top of my head. So I thought that was uh, an interesting thing to uh, to kind of look at or point out about that one. Yeah. So uh, running down the list uh, here, there's so, a bunch of others. And again, you'll tell me if you've heard of any of these. Uh, first of all, and these again are all February releases, uh, is another Disney released movie called Run. Uh, anything on that one? It's funny you said running down the list. Yes. <laughs> about it. No, I got nothing. And do you, know wink, of, wink. do you know a movie that came out the next same day is Popcorn? Yeah, no clue. Um, and then from there, um, he said, she said, Book of Love, Queen's Logic. And um, there's a couple of movies at the very bottom of the list that I, you know, I as usual, will mention the bottom two. But I wanted to mention the 35th on this list, the third from last movie called Meet the Applegates. And I'm not going to do the movie voice this time around, but I did want to read the description of this because I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, So this movie is uh, called Meet the Applegates. And the description is modeling themselves after an idyllic cookie cutter suburban 1950s family, a colony of insects move from South America into the United States with the intent of getting access to the nation's nuclear resources. And I I couldn't help myself. I had to Google this one. And it's like some weird post-apocalyptic movie where like these like shape shifting insect creatures who get a hold of some like better living type of magazine make themselves look like a 1950s family and the guy gets a job at a nuclear reactor so he can like blow up the nuclear reactor and try and kill all humanity. I was like, "Uh, what? (laughs) What is this movie? Uh, This one grosses 485,000 ever. So apparently there's a lot of people that are like, what is this movie? (laughs) Yeah, this is a, I, I, I vaguely, vaguely remember this based on the poster alone. Um, but yeah, I don't like, I mean, there's some more meet the movies out there that are more successful. I mean, meet the feebles comes to mind. One of Peter Jackson's earlier (laughs) movies, which is also kind of a bizarre horror thing, but yeah, this one, I have no clue. It's uh, (laughs) a, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a movie. Yes. It's a movie for sure. (laughs) Uh, Although that's even probably a, a bit of high praise at this point. So finishing out our list this month is uh, number 36 and number 37 on our list. Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead, which is apparently um, something to do with a Shakespeare um, sort of Hamlet, thing, like, yeah. a, like a riff on some cam- characters in Hamlet. I am not well enough versed in Hamlet to know those characters, unfortunately. And then no. the last one, you know, I always love to poke fun at these ones that are at the very bottom, but this one seems like it's taking itself too seriously. The last one is called Iron and Silk. It does, um, what was the number for the month? 15,000. Yeah, 18. I've got on my number here. 15. Yeah, I don't know. It's got some some um, difference in numbers, but this is a Miramax uh, distributed film, and it's got a huge descriptor um, that I kind of don't feel like reading, but I will. Um, Mark Salzman always was interested in Kung Fu and the Chinese culture claim, which is like, they've already screwed up their, um, <laughs> their yeah, Kung Fu and Chinese are not the same. Well, well, yeah, well, I mean, but I just even, it's like Mark Salzman always was interested in Kung Fu and the Chinese culture comma claims to have seen every Kung Fu movie. I don't know. Just a weird, 
I think they need a a, a different uh, bit of uh, punctuation in there. Anyway, yeah. uh, claims to have seen every Kung Fu movie. 1982, with a degree in Chinese literature, he visits a province university in China for two years to teach Chinese teachers the English language. He learns the refinements of correct behavior among Chinese people, makes friends with his pupils, falls in love with the young Dr. Ming, learns wushu, similar to kung fu, from the famous teacher Pan, but also learns about political repression, especially when he's forbidden contact with some of his friends. Now, this is, again, another one where I'm like, "Uh, what? (laughs) You know, this seems like one of those, like, hoity-toity Miramax releases from that back in that period of time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. This one just seems like one of these weird... Miramax, uh, just yeah, never kind of went anywhere. Art, it was art, art house type type of things. That yeah, I mean, its widest release was fourteen theaters, so it just it didn't get anywhere. Um, so that's why it's at, at the bottom. I, I don't feel like it hits the criteria of our normal like real garbage at the bottom. I'm giving that award to Meet the Apple Gates this month. Yeah, I think so too. I would agree. <laughs> I, I also think you know because you know the real garbage ones on the bottom tend to be non you know, studio or even in indie studio type of things like the meet the Apple Gates is from Triton pictures. I, I don't know that, but like yeah. Mir- Miramax, <laughs> it's, it's an art house film. That's what it is. And it's exactly just, whatever, but yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, before interesting our brains, though, interesting, interesting list. <laughs> yes, for say. sure. Before our, our brains get any uh, further scrambled here, we'd better do our best for a total recall. So, Sleeping with the Enemy is directed by Joseph Rubin, who you can't really call a super successful director. Uh, he's responsible for about 15 films that, in my mind, are almost entirely forgettable. Among them are The Good Son, uh, Return to Paradise, Money Train, which I particularly like, uh, <laughs> uh, True Believer, I don't remember that one, uh, Dreamscape, The Stepfather, and The Penthouse North, Blindsided. Which the last one is a Keaton film. Have you ever heard of that one, Michael? Blindsided? Well, so this is the funny part is that when I started looking up on here, it showed up as Blindsided. Right. But then when I I started trying to find more information about it, it's actually listed under Penthouse North. So it's Penthouse North, a.k.a. Blindsided. So I don't know if that's a regional release sort of thing. If you go look this one up, you're going to – Sometimes I like I could not find it actually under blindsided for a while. And then I found it show up under the alternate thing. So bizarre thing. But you recognize it under blindsided at least. Yes. Yeah. Have you I seen have. this movie? No. OK. Well, it's funny. While I was looking it up, uh, Nathan Rabin, I think I'm saying that right, of the dissolve, whatever that is called it a suspense-free thriller of staggering mediocrity and an example of Keaton's unimpressive work prior to Birdman. I had to pull that quote because what a magnificent quote. (laughs) Suspense-free thriller of staggering mediocrity. Bravo. I don't know what the dissolve is, but maybe I got to look that up now. (laughs) That one was a a beautiful uh, uh, pull quote. But, I mean... For, for this Nathan Raven to say that he was, you know, 
unimpressive prior to Birdman. Well, in, in fairness, I think I think he's talking about the window of of work he's doing leading up to Birdman, which obviously includes movies like this, um, which did not do so hot. (laughs) I don't know that he's necessarily talking Mr. Mom, Batman era Keaton. You know what I mean? I think he's talking about like lull of time sort of Keaton. There's like three movies in the nineties post Batman that are really, really good. Like of Keaton's and I'm going to go off on a tangent, but if you haven't seen the paper, which is a Ron Howard film, he's excellent in that. Uh, there's a movie called My Life, uh, where he's like dying of cancer, and there's a third movie that I'm blanking off the top of my head. But uh, oh, Multiplicity! <laughs> yeah. Multiplicity. She, she, she touched my peppy, Steve. <laughs> so anyway, but aside from that, there's not a lot of great films that Michael Keaton did during that. Well, this is this is 2010 era though. This is a 2013 movie, so I I think this is like before Keaton kind of makes his resurgence. You know what I mean? I feel like, and I could be off, but I feel like he kind of goes away for a while, um, and and is kind of doing some of these quieter, random movies like this. Like I hadn't heard of this, frankly, before (laughs) I was looking this stuff up, Um, and uh, I, I think you know he resurfaces in a big bad way when Birdman comes along. Yeah. Um, and he's done some good stuff, obviously, since. He still um, deserves an Oscar. He yes. needs an Oscar. <laughs> the man needs an Oscar, for God's sakes. But I should have thought that by bringing up this quote that you and, and Nathan Rabin would be on the outs with each other. Yes. <laughs> for, well, he's writing for whatever the dissolve is. Yes, yes. Probably where his career went. <laughs> Dissolved. I hope Nathan Rabin doesn't uh, look us up in the same vein that I was worried. Uh, Steven clicky clicky Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Box Office 30. <laughs> so, but jumping back to our boy, Joseph Rubin here. Um, he's a mess. Um, his Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, IMDb, whatever scores are all abysmal. Um, Sleeping with the Enemy is arguably his best financial success, um, although it opened with fairly negative critical response. It's probably because of the strength of Julia Roberts, and that's about it. I think that's it. I think I think the critics hated this. I think um, people went for Valentine's to go see this movie, I think okay. is the answer to this. If critics hated this, and this is his best movie... This is gonna be <laughs> well, I don't know if this is his best one. movie because like as far as critical ratings go, it's not the best. It's probably his most financially successful one. Um, he has another movie um, that he did in 2017 and it's the last film of record that he made, um, which did 150 million. Um, and that's got a whopping 19% on the tomato meter rating at, at Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but, uh, you know, I, what I would say is, is if you take into consider inflation, um, sleeping with the enemy is then technically a, a better number. And actually really, if you think about the international 175 million, it's, it does better. Right. Um, so I don't know, I guess we're in for this one, huh? <laughs> we're, we're in for it. All right. <laughs> I didn't realize this is the same guy that did The Good Son. Ugh, the yes. Good son. <laughs> that to me is probably the most recognizable out of his uh, out of his films. What? Money Train? You don't know Money Train? Money Train is Money Train, you know. <laughs> Woody Harrelson? Come on. 
<laughs> Isn't Jennifer Lopez in that too? Like, oh man. Maybe. I don't know. That one's been off my uh, radar for a minute. <laughs> so um, it's, this is based off a 1987 novel by the same name uh, by author Nancy Price. Um, they did manage to get a Jerry Goldsmith score in here, which is something to look forward to at least. Um, the film stars, as we've mentioned, Julia Roberts. And again, I think she's the big draw here. She's coming off of 1990s Pretty Woman. Um, there's nobody else of real noteworthiness on display here. So yeah, who, who I, I think that's, Who's the co-star? Uh, the guy with the mustache, right? He's, sort of, he's like a creepy mustache. Uh, Patrick Bergen? It's, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He's the other alternative person listed, as well as a Kevin Anderson. Neither of their names ring a bell at all for me. Neither. Um, so, so that's why I say I just I think she's the the star power here. Well, um, even even in the poster, it's just her. It's like yes, and actually in multiple versions of the poster, it's just her. So, yes. <laughs> um, it is probably worth pointing out that it did break a record at the time for highest domestic opening for a female-centric film with its $13 million opening weekend. The previous record was held by Sigourney Weaver and Alien. I think history won't mind being forgetful about that, as Alien's clearly the better film of the two. <laughs> I, would, I would agree. Yeah. Um, but it is worth uh, pointing out those things when I do uh, find them and see them. So I don't know. Let's let's dive in here. Let's try and recall. I mean, is it even worth trying? I I I don't recall seeing this movie. So I'm gonna just read the synopsis of this movie that says on Box Office Mojo, um, a young woman fakes her own death in attempt to escape her nightmarish marriage, but discovers it is impossible to elude her controlling husband. Okay, so. That being said, I don't remember the fake their own death part, but I do remember that she was in sort of like a abusive relationship with like a, a psychotic spouse and and she was terrified of him. And that's all I know. That's literally all I can remember. So. Uh, yeah. Again, my recollection here is that my mom had this movie because my mom was a major julia roberts fiend especially at this your point mom on the podcast this month Why yeah, did that's you not- a really good question maybe we need to bring her in for the <laughs> for the uh second half <laughs> get some i was on facebook the other day and i'm like you know do i just post like hey was anybody a julia roberts fan back in the 90s <laughs> that wants to join our podcast and i just never did it <laughs> but i you should know, you know who did mention that they would um, do a recall on this one with us or a review, I should say, uh, is Angie. She said that she had some recollection of this one and I just didn't dig her out to uh, to, to do this with us, this one. But I don't know. I'll ask her. I'll ask her if she's uh, interested in doing the review portion of it. Okay. Um, but uh, that's about as much as I remember. I remember it being one of these movies where she would have watched it at the time and would not have then therefore allowed me to be watching it. I don't think she necessarily saw this in theaters. I think she probably got this on home video, which would have been in like September or so of 1991. Um, I did see a note somewhere that this was the um, top selling VHS release in September, (laughs) which is why I know that. Speaking of VHS, (laughs) totally, totally off topic. But today I was kind of just like out and about because I'm like, oh, we're going to get this snowstorm. I'm going to be snowed in for a couple of days and i want to just like go for a drive and in bayshore new york this new place opened up called blast from the past nice and it has wall-to-wall 
VHS tapes, old video game consoles, including Jaguar sealed in the box, never opened. Like (laughs) every Nintendo version you've ever seen, every Sega Genesis, Sega version, or Sega CD. Yeah, they had all of it. It had action figures galore. 32X. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, Sega! <laughs> so these things are like, whoa, Pete would have had a field day in this yeah. place. And like the other wall had like he all the He-Man figures, all the Ghostbuster figures, all the like you name it, this place had it. And I just went digging through like the like the quarter bins of comic books and I like, found a bunch of random nineties garbage that I picked up. Just nice. I have to make a, pil- a pilgrimage, I think. You know, it's funny. There's a place that I found here in Jersey, but the problem is it's like an hour and a half northwest of me that has a lot of the same sort of thing. And I just like have not worked up the want to drive an hour and a half northwest of me to go see this place. But I could at least double up some things on Long Island. So maybe I got to head out that way and check this, this place out. This a cool out. place. And while I was in there, they were playing uh, – the perfect circle, like an album. By the- I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> yes. I was like this is great. I was like I'm in a cool store listening to the perfect circle, just like jamming out. Like this is fantastic. Nice. So they even had like he, the guy had vintage Barbies of like all kinds of things, like superhero versions of Barbies. I even saw a Fantastic Four Jessica Alba Barbie. Excellent. I was like, whoa. That's pretty <laughs> I have to add that to my fledgling Barbie collection. <laughs> yes. I've, I've mentioned this to Michael, and it's embarrassing to admit on here, but somehow, and I'm not really 100% sure how this happened, I've somehow started a fledgling Barbie collection. I have a, a Doctor Who um, limited edition Barbie, and I have a Black Widow from the new upcoming movie uh, Barbie. And I think the intent at least with the Doctor Who was to get these things for my daughters, plural, I guess. I don't know if either one of them, yeah, quote unquote, will care. Um, I, I got the Doctor Who one and I showed it to my older daughter and she was like, and? So I don't know. Maybe those are mine now. So, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I got to go see if I can find some other interesting ones. I do have to say, and I said this to you, I do kind of want the uh, Princess Leia um, collector's Barbie thing. That one's pretty cool too, especially the Darth Vader one. They had like a light side and a dark side version. And I got to say the Darth Vader looking one's kind of neat looking. Okay. I digress. I digress. Now that, that people are, if you'd like to make fun of me, follow us on our social media channels, box office 30. <laughs> oh boy. That was good. But yeah, anyway, totally off topic, but I had to share that because we were discussing VHSs for a pre- brief moment. But um, so do you want to watch this trailer to see if we get any kind of memory about this movie? Yes, I say let's watch this trailer. Let's let's check out the 90s jank. I'm really curious to see um, what this looks like and and how it uh, how it looks. So let's let's pull it on up here. us down make sure we have no ads <laughs> all righty three two one oh brown eyed girl happy music in the beginning stranger in a small there's the movie voice yeah where are you from my questions 
What's this guy's hair? It's, it's like a like a Billy Ray Cyrus kind of hair. Given what we know about this or what little we know about this, they're clearly going for a uh, twist coming up here. Yeah, but it's like it's positioned like a rom-com. Now it turns murdery. <laughs> <laughs> it goes from Pretty Woman 2 to Cape Fear. Oh, that had to hurt. See, much to this guy. That's what I said. Yes. She changed her name. Six months ago, your wife removed. Oh, the guy with the curly hair. He knows the guy with the mustache. Like they're they're in it together. That's what I think is the, the twist. Oh. Did she change her look though? She changed her life. If you need any help, I'm here. She changed her underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. That is quite a stash. Yeah. Still wants her back. I know your every thought, Laura. Nothing could keep me away. They're really fixated on this bathtub. Yeah. I won't let you live without me. Julia Roberts is sleeping with the enemy. Oh no. She should make some better choices. <laughs> Both of them are bad. <laughs> All right. So there's that. Um, it, I, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, you, you could see where the trailer was going to go. As you said, it sort of starts off with this rom-com feeling and then ends up in this much darker territory. So I'll, I'll say one thing about this. Most of the trailers that we've watched give away the whole movie. This didn't give away the whole movie in my opinion. Yeah, this was a little bit uh, better um, than some of the other ones we've seen. And again, you know, the other thing I was going to say um, is I find these trailers to be of varying quality and I can never quite tell if that's because it just looked terrible in the beginning. Like I remember Seagal's uh, trailer looked really, really hinky. Yeah. Um, this <laughs> one as well looks a little funky, but again, I don't know if that's just because like somebody found this on like a VHS and like transported it over to YouTube at a point or whatever, you know, there's always that sort of uh, reasoning. I don't know. It seems a little uh, crummy looking the trailer, at least to yeah. me, um, as far as like pure quality goes, not necessarily the movie quality. Although I think, um, given some of the critical reception, I, I don't know where that's going to go for it, us. It, but it's a little bit of a poorly edited trailer, like the way that the the transitions go and the mix of the music does yeah. really transition well. And by the choosing of that particular voice actor, who was synonymous for movies in the '90s, but it was always with an ominous tone, like. You, you come out the gate listening to Brown Eyed Girl while you're hearing this ominous voice being like, a girl from another town who doesn't know anybody is about to get her life turned upside down, or whatever he says. <laughs> yes, well, I, for those that are uninitiated, uh, the, the man behind the movie voice is a guy named Don Lanfontaine. Fontaine, I said it wrong. Don Lanfontaine. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, he, uh, you know, unfortunately passed away um, a while back, I think in like the early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. Um, but very distinctive voice and, and, you know, 
just thousands of movie trailers that he put his voice into. And as you say, when his voice shows up, it's almost always going to be more of a thriller actiony sort of movie. You know, he's not exactly doing the like, you know, actual romantic comedy (laughs) movies. I mean, that said, he does pop up in some of them. It's just more often than not when you catch that, like in a world, you know, (laughs) it's it's usually going to be one of his uh, more epic type of movies coming up. Um, That said, here's my read on this trailer, and here's what I think we're heading into. This just seems like a canned stalker thriller movie. Um, it, it, It does not look like anything special. It does not look like anything that's treading new ground. Um like Cape Fear almost feels like. Yeah, I, you know, but I mean, even Cape Fear has like a little bit more interest to it, I feel like. I don't know. What this was that, what was that movie with Mark Wahlberg where he was like a stalker or something like that? Mm, I'm not remembering off the top of my head. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, Whatever. there's a ton of them out there that take unique angles on this sort of thing. Uh, this just feels like spam to me. It feels like you're ripping open that tin cam and slopping out that fake ham onto your counter. I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel like it's going to be terribly interesting. Enjoyable. Yeah. This, this might be our, you know, I think, you know, one thing that we got to do when we get to the end of this next year and we'll have a full year under our belt is I think when we get to the December episode of box office 30, we need to do like an awards um, our, our Academy Awards for the movies that we talked about in the year. And I think we need to assign the the garbage movie the of the year award. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this one, if I have to guess, early contention. I think this one's definitely in that zone. <laughs> I don't know. Fisher King's a little rough. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking more maybe the uh, – we'll have, we'll have separate categories. We'll do the movies that we actually review – and then we'll have a, a separate one for for some of the uh, stuff that's outside the uh, the uh, yeah. exact mirror that we're looking in here. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I'm curious to see how this goes. Uh, worth a rewatch. I mean, the name is recognizable. Yeah. You know, like when I went through the list um, early on, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Sleeping with the Enemy." And then I was like, "Wait a minute, do I remember that one? Do I know that one?" But at least like it has that name recognition. It's got yeah. Julia Roberts. It can't be all bad, or can it? (laughs) We shall see. We We shall see see in two weeks on the official review. At least next month we know we've got Silence of the Lambs. That's kind of good. Yes. (laughs) Well, I I say we're going to call this one a little bit early. Let's let's head into wrapping up the show because we do have some business to uh, to finish up here at the end. So. about this promotion we got going on here. Yes, well, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Let me first off throw out there, because I did mention it briefly already, if you'd like to chat with us about the show, if you're interested in being a guest on the show, if you would like to mock... Michael or I, um, not quite to our faces, but to our digital faces. Um, By all means. Yes, hit us up on our social media channels. We are Box Office 30 with a 3-0 on Facebook and Twitter and Box Office 30, T-H-I-R-T-Y on Instagram. So pop on over. We love to hear feedback of all persuasions uh, from our listeners. So um, do contact us. We, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have um, the information on this movie we're going to be watching, please share it with us. Yes, let us know if them. you're a real Sleeping with the Enemy fan and, and what your take is on it. Um, do you have your hypothetical card, sir, for the uh, for the week? I can grab them. Yeah, they're right. Hold up. I have to tell you, my draw on these hypothetical cards is 
because it, it doesn't necessarily connect to what we're doing here with the show, but I just have a morbid curiosity oh, <laughs> too. now uh, about what, what the answers are going to be. <laughs> we got two decks here, right? So we've got the what the heck deck or would you rather we did. Would you rather last time? Do you want to try this deck? Now? Yeah, let's try the new one. Yeah, for sure. And again, you know, it's worth mentioning and I think maybe we'll bring this in maybe next month um, is that the good guys over at the Retro Network, Mickey and Jason, uh, actually sent us over the big movie quiz game. So we have some um, actual movie quiz cards that we could do. And actually what I was thinking about is taking half those cards and mailing them to you, okay. and then we can kind of quiz each other back and forth. <laughs> okay, that sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> well, this is a what-the-heck question. And this is from poddex.com. Okay. And, let, let, and, us, let us lead in with this then. What the heck? Okay, go. <laughs> if you could marry a fictional character, who would it be? Oh, oh, I got to think. Do you have somebody off the top of your head that, that answers this for you? Uh, yes, sort of. Um. It, it's tough, you know, because like I love Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle in, in Batman Returns. That's way up there on my list. Um, I, I also, you know, what? I'll just say Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman in Batman Returns. Um, I will marry literally any character that Mila Kunis has ever played. <laughs> okay. Um, and the she reason was why she was in American Psycho 2 also just, you know, she was I, she's in Black Swan she's in Jupiter Ascending she's in Oz the Great and Powerful she's in Bad Moms she's in so many movies I love Mila Kunis Mila Kunis is that's on, not the fictional character though That's the I, I know but via the fictional character I can be with the real life person that is like the number one on my on my list, that list. <laughs> so, so that's where I'm going with it. Um, uh, you know what? I'll go with I'll go with, and it, it is a not great movie, but I'll go with Jupiter Ascending because she basically becomes like the queen of like the universe, the the uh, yeah, at least the solar system or something. So that seems like a good good one there, and and uh, I don't mind being some half dog man if that's what it takes to do it. <laughs> She always loved dogs. That's a weird answer. It's a weird answer. It's a weird movie. It's a weird movie. Not a good movie. Not a good movie. What the heck, friends? Okay. Well, having that out of the way. Uh, so again, I, I do really want to seriously thank the Retro Network, um, as usual, for hosting our shows. Um, I would love to reinforce um, people going out and checking out the many amazing shows that are out there on the Retro Network. Um, if you want to hear more of our good friend Michael, he's over on the Wizards podcast. Um, what practically weekly now? I feel like you guys are are seriously cranking out stuff now. <laughs> I can't keep up. Like Adam is going on hiatus for a couple of weeks, so I'm doing all the YouTube editing and the <laughs> podcast editing. My computer is going to set itself on fire. It's, it's going crazy. Well, oh while I feel for you, I have to say it's a well deserved break for that guy because oh my god, he's one of the hardest working people in podcasting. I think. 
<laughs> we've got a lot of stuff going on with that. We've got the mini episodes. We've got the the main episodes. We've got the Wizard Files interviews. We've got the YouTube series. Now we have Patreon.com slash Wizards Comics. We've got more content going on there that is completely uncensored. If you want to hear me drop <laughs> F-bombs for two hours, by all means, check it out. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> yes, and you guys have been joined by uh, Steven Sapellis, so now there's uh, even more Long Island talk per episode. <laughs> the content level has risen. So in the next episode, you'll you'll hear, well, no, I'm sorry, two more in, in episode 29. You're gonna. We have a guy who's from Jersey, so there's some Jersey talk too. Because nice. Pete and I also went to college in Jersey. Pete lives in Jersey, and this guy came on. I was like, "Oh yeah, we spent like a half an hour talking about Jersey versus New York. It's pretty good." It's well, good. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but uh, yours truly may or may not be appearing in the uh, quasi not too distant future of, of Wizards again. And uh, I was thinking to myself then that Adam would be three to one surrounded by Long Island oh, people. <laughs> Glorious. <laughs> we also have um, a, a new movies series coming out, which is somewhat unrelated to box office 30, but I'm trying to work a crossover soon. We're going to be doing like uh, different movies a month that are just superhero based movies, you know, kind of just nerding out about them with, you know, limited facts and <laughs> more or less just nerdiness of it. And uh, the first one coming out is going to be uh, Batman 89. And uh, that's going to come out, I think, next, maybe around the same time as this. This episode's going to drop around the same time as that thing. So it'll be interesting. We'll see. You doing Batman first, it's like a horse is a horse, of course, of course. You know what I mean? That, that is like, <laughs> it's, it's just two and a half hours of me talking about how great Batman 89 is. So Yes. I mean, if you can do, what was it, nearly four hours on the uh, oh, uh, Roger Corman uh, Fantastic Four, then for certain <laughs> we can squeeze a couple out of you on Batman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I also want to thank again our sponsor for this episode, Retrofied Magazine. And I wanted to uh, mention some more about that giveaway that we talked about at the top of the show. So here's the juicy details on that. So we have two, count them, two codes to give away for full digital versions of issue number one. So we will have not one, but two lucky winners to give this away to. And um, we're going to give these away on our social media channels. Um, I am still figuring out exactly how I'm going to work that. I'm trying to see uh, which sort of contest software or something like that I might be able to hook in. I was trying to mess around with Rafflecopter before, but it was giving me a hard time. So stay tuned, uh, or by, probably by the time this episode drops, that information will be good to go. But uh, you'll head over to our um, social medias, or I'll also put this information on boxoffice30.com so you can find it in any number of places, and uh, you'll have your chance to get your very own copy of Retrofied Magazine, which again is definitely worth checking out. Um, if you can give us anything about reboot, I'll give you the prize. <laughs> you and I could talk more about reboot. I love that show. Okay, um, fair enough. Yes. <laughs> so uh, check out our review episode, Sleeping with the Enemy. It's in Friday in two weeks. Check out our T Public store where you can buy merchandise with Box Office 30 logo on it. You can find the link in the show notes on our socials and at boxoffice30.com. Speaking of... Last week, somebody said to me that they had never heard of 
boxoffice30.com that they had, <laughs> they had no clue what I was talking about. That was the first time they'd heard it. I didn't know. Wait, I and didn't, you don't tell me everything. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. I, I had to go look that back up because that made me real itchy. And as it turns out, we were both half right. Okay. <laughs> so I, I went back through the episodes and I was planning on putting together a nice audio. You listen to us talk about the same crap for eight hours. <laughs> One moment. So, so I was planning on putting together a whole audio segment to let you listen to here of all the times that I've mentioned boxoffice30.com on the podcast. <laughs> As it turns out, I didn't mention it that many times. So the pie is a little bit on my face as it is on yours. Okay. We kind of did one of those cross like splat on each other. Here's the thing. I did mention boxoffice30.com as early as our third episode ever. So I did mention it and your response was, oh, cool. <laughs> so you have heard of it. There is audio proof that you've heard of this before the, the last episode. So, so by third episode, do you mean... Second part two of Die Hard two. Correct, Amundo. Yes, okay. yeah. It's when we had gotten our socials up and we got our our website up with it. So it did exist as early as that point in time, and you had at least acknowledged that I'd said it to you then. <laughs> but then I went to go grab all the other audio recordings of me saying it, and I realized, nope, I have not said it in a long, long time. And you know how I found this out? I actually sat today and listened to the last fifteen minutes of every single episode we've put out to date. And believe it or not, no, I am awful about mentioning boxoffice30.com. So believe you me, I will be mentioning it from here on out. That said, I had also mentioned it in the first part of the December episode of, of, of or excuse me, January episode, the one that got botched. So I'll also forgive you for not remembering it from that train wreck. But uh, yes, you, the listeners, can visit boxoffice30.com. And Michael, you can visit boxoffice30.com. <laughs> I guess I can. That's it. Yeah, it is not a terribly interesting site. I did not do a giant, huge, amazing site like the Retro Network with it or anything yet. It's basically the free site that we get with the um, podcasting software that we're using. So I do plan on doing something more interesting with I, it at some point. We get, we get website stuff with the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is this is like, well, like the sound that you're making there is like the sound of me doing all the work. So. <laughs> yes, this is this is what producing entails. <laughs> Just like I tell Adam, when it comes to the podcasting, you guys are like the Johnny Carson, and I'm the Ed McMahon. I'm yeah, you're just here. happy to be here. <laughs> just, just glad to be part of the conversation, man. You know what? What the hell? Well done, well done. All right, that's it for us for for this month or this episode at least. We'll be back later in the month with our second part of the episode. <laughs> so, anyway, if you're sleeping with the enemy, please. Call someone. But until then, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, friends. Bye. Bye. <laughs> if you're sleeping with the enemy, call someone. That does seem like a good idea. I don't know who they're calling. <laughs> Ghostbusters? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's just all right. There you it's go. Right. Very well. Very good. Oh, God. That was funny. <laughs> This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.